Well, hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of In With The Old. We're a podcast focused on dispelling myths, building appreciation for God's Word, and rediscovering the Old Testament for the life of faith. I'm Dr. Brian, and on today's episode, we're covering a phenomenon I like to call Sunday School Eyes, and how that can often hurt our understanding of the Old Testament. I'm joined as ever by my fantastic co-host, Dr. Tim. Tim, what's going on today? How are you doing? I'm doing great, Brian. I'm super excited for this episode, and, uh, and I, I think our listeners are going to enjoy it as well. I certainly hope so. This is something I think is incredibly important, and I see it uh, frequently, and so it's a topic I want to talk about. So Sunday school eyes. Tim, I know this is a term I've kind of come up with, but when you hear that term, what do you think we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, so when I think Sunday school, uh, I actually think of a story, Brian, that uh, a friend of mine told me. He, he was in kind of a new church plant, and, uh, and I was talking to him about our church's Sunday school program, program and he kind of stopped me. He said, wow, I forgot that some churches still have Sunday school. And it was actually hilarious <laughs> because I was like, oh, yeah, like uh, I didn't really know that there was a, an alternative to that. And so it's funny. For, I yeah, mean, it's kind of tragic, isn't it? Yeah, like Sunday school might be going the way of the dodo as a, as a thing, but I think most people will probably understand what we mean by Sunday school eyes. You know, it, as a kid, a lot of kids growing up in church, they go to Sunday school, and uh, and as you go to Sunday school, a lot of times you get kind of, uh, you know, little pictures that you can draw, some mazes, some fill-in-the-blanks, and word puzzles, but it always tends to focus around a Bible story, and there are some, you know, top 10 answers on the board for Bible stories, you know, David and Goliath, and Esther gets thrown in there, or Ruth, or, or uh, you know, Daniel in the lion's den, but I think Sunday school eyes speaks to that idea that as we raise kids, especially in the faith, we tend to teach stories uh, individualistically, and we tend to look at them for kind of moral lessons. Uh, but that Sunday school eyes is something that, as we grow in our faith, we have to we have to learn, and in some cases unlearn some of the things uh, that 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 were taught there in kind of a Sunday school type program. Yeah, I think that's really well put. For those individuals, I think like both you and I, Tim, that grew up in the church, we went to Sunday school, and there we got to learn about these stories. And I want to say right up front that we are not against Sunday school in any way, shape, or form. We are <laughs> yes. very happy about it, especially because Sunday school tends to be one of the only places in the church that the Old Testament still holds sway, mm. right? You yeah. have these beautiful narratives, beautiful stories, and so we teach kids them. Mm. The problem is that we never come back and do anything more. Mm -hmm. So I came up with the term Sunday School Eyes because as I was teaching students in my class, and I was teaching them in something called Christian Worldview, it's a gen ed course, which means I have non-theology students in there. Mm -hmm. I have both Christians, I have non-Christians, and everyone in between. And I noticed that as we started getting to stories in the Old Testament, specifically the big ones, creation, the fall, the flood, things like that. I would read the stories, or I'd have a student read them, and I would ask, what did you all see in this story? What questions do you have? And something odd would happen. The students that I knew came from Christian backgrounds oftentimes would kind of stare at me blankly or maybe just start reciting some of the big points of the story. Mm. The non-Christians, however, often would ask really interesting questions. Like, for instance, I'll talk about this more a bit later as well. But when you read the story of the fall, 
most Christians will start talking about, okay, original sin, we're pointing to Jesus. If they know some terminology, they might throw out proto-evangelion, right? The first gospel. <laughs> yeah. But you know what a non-Christian student almost invariably asks me when I read that story? What do they ask you? Why the heck is there a talking snake? Oh, yeah, the talking snake. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's actually, I think, an important question. We shouldn't mm. just gloss over that. And so it, it, this dichotomy of non-Christian students sometimes picking up details or asking insightful questions that Christian students didn't got me thinking and got me to come up with this idea of Sunday school eyes. We sometimes, when we have been introduced to a story as a kid, think we know the story a little better than we actually do. And we conversely, if we never return to that story as an adult, might be missing out on some of the greater context and details. So if I can give a definition of what I think of when I think of Sunday School Eyes that we're going to be talking about here today, it's a comprehension fallacy. It falls into how we relate to learning when it comes to these stories. This problem often occurs, I think, with people that grow up in the church and is less likely to impact those of us that have come to faith later in life. Although, I'll be totally transparent, I'm guilty of this as well. I think we all have fallen into this fallacy at some time in our lives. When we have Sunday School Eyes, we often gloss over common stories. Or, when we hear the pastor or the the reader reading a story we're familiar with, we're just kind of going like, yeah, 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 our mind is drifting, and we aren't actually re-listening to the story. We're just going, I already know what they're going to say. And so we stop paying attention. Yeah, and and Brian, I think with that, it's almost like because we're familiar with the story or we believe we are, we, we already feel like we know the lesson that's coming at the end. You know, Precisely. I don't have to pay as much attention because I already know uh, what the payload's going to be at the end of the sermon or anything, the lesson. And, you know, Brian, it, it's interesting as, as we prepared for this, I, I started thinking about a similar phenomenon when, you know, as a dad, I watch movies that I watched as a little kid, but I watch them with mm. my kids. Like it's, it's a totally different experience where, oh, I didn't realize there was a lot of adult humor in that, that I didn't catch as a kid or, <laughs> oh, sometimes wow. sometimes an awkward realization, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really is. It's so crazy. Or the same way where it's like, oh, well, that has like an apparent some like agenda to some degree that I wasn't aware of because as a kid, I was just, you know, thinking this had cool music or this was, you know, it, it's that kind of reality check of, oh, wow, you know, this same, it, it's the same movie, but I'm experiencing it differently. And I think this, the same thing happens when it comes to adults who read the Bible. Uh, in some cases, there's so much more richness that's obvious. In other cases, there's some kind of thorny issues that we you know, tend to gloss over. Uh, you know, I think of, uh, I think of a, a, a comedian who said, you know, it's interesting that one of the stories every little kid knows is the story of Noah's Ark, you know, and we paint our kids' rooms with rainbows and animals when in fact this is like the, the darkest day in the history of humanity, you know, short of the, short of the judgment seat of Christ. Like this was judgment on the whole world. So yeah. um, it's, it, 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 it is an issue. And I think for us, you know, we both know we can't come to the Bible with a blank slate, whether we're believers or unbelievers. But what we can do, especially as those who maybe grew up in church or have some familiarity with the Old Testament, what we can do is say, okay, uh, that's an advantage. That's a good thing. We would never want to take that away. But we also have to be aware that, man, I might be a little bit, uh, uh, a little bit 
lazier in reading if I already feel like I know what's happening. And that's something that we want to avoid. We want to be active readers. We want to engage because this is the Word of God. And and ultimately, yes, it's a good thing to teach kids, but as adults, we, we have different questions. We have different thoughts. We have different needs, even in some sense, as we come to the text. Exactly. And I love that example, Tim, because... I'm sure we all have had that experience of returning to something that we knew as a kid and now seeing additional layers to it. And the media we're consuming hasn't changed, yeah. has it? The movies you saw as a kid, they're the same movie, but you have grown now and now can comprehend and appreciate different nuances. Similarly, yeah. I know our, our listeners, I'm sure you were the brightest junior higher out there. But no matter how bright and amazing you were in junior high, I'm guessing you are better now. You have a greater mental capacity, a greater appreciation for nuance, story, theology, etc. Um, so mm-hmm. Sunday School Eyes is really a call to come back and re-engage the text as an adult learner. Mm-hmm. When we think of the, the problem of Sunday School Eyes, I think it has two primary and unfortunately mutually reinforcing problems to it. The first is that Sunday School Eyes, stories that we knew as a kid, this lulls us into a false sense of security that we do know the story, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I remember, and I can tell you these uh, stories I learned in Sunday School on the felt board with nice little cutouts as the teacher made hand gestures and did silly voices, right? We could say, oh, I know the story. Mm-hmm. And we feel like we do, but we don't actually know them as well as we think we do. We know them as well as children know stories. So I think in this vein, Sunday School Eyes is the proof of the truism, familiarity breeds contempt. I think I know the story, and Tim used the term active reader. We don't become active readers. We become passive readers. We listen, but our minds might not be engaged. As an example, let's circle back around. I already brought it up once, the fall. Genesis 3 is a story I'm sure we have all heard innumerable times, right? And we can picture everything from Sunday school artwork of a tree with Adam and Eve with very strategically (laughs) placed leaves, the nice little apple right there, to maybe high artwork from the the Renaissance of the Middle Ages, right? It's the story of Satan coming and deceiving Adam and Eve, them eating that apple and getting kicked out of the garden. We all think we know that story, but that description I just gave of the story is incorrect, See, we think we know the story, and we think those are all the correct details, but they aren't, are they? You go read Genesis 3, and is it ever called an apple? Now, this is a detail that probably doesn't matter, but it's just called the fruit. And actually, do you know why it became an apple? Mm. This is an interesting historical and linguistic uh, development. Tim, do you know why we often call it the apple of Eden? I, d- I don't know this. I, act- I-, I want to hear this, Brian, because I don't know. Okay, it comes from Latin. So Mm. in the Middle Ages, and actually probably post-Christianity becoming the official religion of the Roman Empire, Latin becomes the dominant language, correct? Well, eventually Latin falls out of the common vernacular, and so the church wrestled with, well, how do we teach these stories? Well, we begin doing paintings, we'll do artwork. When it comes to the garden story, there's an interesting correlation in Latin. The word for apple and the word for evil, they're near homographs. They're spelled almost identically. So it became a mnemonic. I see the apple, and I remember that that's evil. So it introduced the apple of Eden into our visualization. And we've since moved on from Latin, but that visualization remains. 
Now, this is a completely minor point, right? Does that change the point of the passage? Is it an apple? Is it something else? No. But I bring that up as an example of we don't pay attention to the details. Likewise, I said the story was of Adam and Eve being deceived. Mm-hmm. But she's not called Eve, is she? This actually is important, I mm. think. She's called the woman. Mm. When does she be, get named Eve? It's after she's kicked out of the garden. And that name, right, she's the mother of all the living. It's baby trusting in God and his promises going forward. I think it also reveals a fundamental break and consequence of the fall. Adam didn't name her, did he? Pre-fall. Adam mm. named animals. Now post-fall, Adam gives her a name. God promised that as a consequence of the sin, that male and female relationship is going to break down at some level, right? In this name, we see both the hope and promise of God's future, but I think we also begin to see a fracture in that relationship. There's now a dynamic that has been introduced that wasn't there pre-fall. So that detail, I think, maybe matters. Similarly, Tim, you know this as well as I do. It's not called Satan in that passage, is it? It's called the serpent. Yes, yes. Now, the Bible will uh-huh. eventually connect that uh, that serpent with Satan, but it doesn't do it in the book of Genesis. It doesn't even do it in the Old Testament. You have to wait till the book of Revelation for that connection to be made. Now, Tim, you may not agree with me on this, but I think that's actually important. If we read the story of Genesis 3 with Sunday school eyes and go, yeah, that's just Satan. I mean, on the one hand, yes, it is, but pay attention. Mm-hmm. The story didn't bother naming him. Why? Because he doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. This is the story of God and humanity. The Mm -hmm. Bible is not dualistic in the fact that you have good and evil as equals and opposites fighting it out for the souls of humanity. You have God. Period. Full stop. End of paragraph. End of chapter. Yeah, there's an antagonist. Yeah, there's evil. He is not on the same level. He might be opposites, but he is not equal. And why he did what he did and what he hopes to get out of it are inconsequential, at least at this point, to the story of the Bible. And so I think we miss the fact that it is God who acts and we begin to fall into a dualistic mindset if we read too much back into the story, rather than going, what is the narrator trying to tell us about God and man's relationship and why it fundamentally broke? Yeah, and and Brian, it, it's so interesting because I think the reason we do this, you know, and, and you and I, we both have young kids. I think one of the reasons we do this is because a simple story is easier to tell. Or, or another way to put it would be, you know, kids might not be able to appreciate all of those details, at which point we begin to kind of synthesize with other things to help make sense of it and, you know, answer the question before it's asked. Or, um, you know, we, we might, in a well-meaning way, try to, well, you know, we, we need to name the fruit somehow, and, and so we're just going to call it an apple. But that's where I think a lot of times as adults— uh, we'll come back to the text, and then there's almost there's almost this sense of was I a little bit deceived as a kid? I don't know if you felt that way, but I've felt that way about some some stories as I I read them in the scriptures. Is that uh, it, it was almost like it was so selective of a telling of the story when I was a kid that it, it really fundamentally changes some of the things that I think uh, God was trying to do, and uh, and. So I, you know, I appreciate appreciate all of those examples. You know, Brian, another one that I think is a good example is of David and Goliath, mm-hmm. um, and and you know this. I mean, as we think about David and Goliath, David and Goliath is one of those stories that you know it it is uh, you know 
probably top two or three stories, maybe in the entire Bible, but especially in the Old Testament as we, we think about kids. It's visual and violent, everything kids love. Yeah, yeah, and I've, I've got in my mind songs just playing in the background yep. that, that were from old VBSs going on. But it's so interesting, you know, because as we think about the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, you know, it follows immediately on the heels of David being anointed by Samuel in 1 Samuel 16 and the Spirit of God coming on him. And, uh, you know, the moment we tell the story of David and Goliath, oftentimes it becomes, you know, uh, kind of a veggie tale-ish, little guys can do big things too, or God is bigger than the boogeyman, you know, and, and hey, those, those things aren't wrong, those things aren't bad, but that really, I think we can safely say, isn't the point of 1 Samuel 17. You know, the, the point of 1 Samuel 17, at least in, in part, is what it means to be anointed by God's Spirit, mm. what it means to, uh, to live for the glory of God and to, uh, you know, stand up against the enemies of God in His name. And so, it, it, in one sense, it, it's not just that there's things missing, that's true, but it's also that some of the things that are included are actually at times so surface level that they can lead to a distortion. Um, and and at least for me, I'll just speak for myself personally, almost a sense of a sense of deception that it's like, wow, there was so much more to this. And the, the moment that you leave leave someone with those Sunday school eyes, and you never circle back around and say, hey, let's take another look at this uh, in, in a more mature way. Um, it really does a huge disservice to our people. And I, I'm, I'm coming at that from a pastoral angle, not even just from a scholarly angle. Um, but it, it, it leaves people to either think, well, I was, uh, you know, somewhat deceived or, uh, hey, I've already got it because I've got my moral lesson at the end. And, and both of those things, both of those things are tragic. I think that's such a great point, Tim, because I, I'm with you as well. I have felt as I've come back as an adult, sometimes deceived. And I think we see it in a mm-hmm. culture that is embracing an idea of deconstruction. I'm sympathetic mm-hmm. to some of their plights because I go, you know what? For the best of reasons, we did not lie, but we simplified and oversimplified lessons and maybe attention mm-hmm. unintentionally gave the wrong idea of what those stories are about. I love your example of David and Goliath because, yeah, that's a story as a kid we've all heard uh, little guys could do big things. I mean, I remember that phrase, uh, but it's mm-hmm. about God's anointed. It's about, if you want to trace it through, Saul was identified as the tallest man in Israel. Isn't there an, <laughs> another subtext that's interesting that Goliath is picked because he's a giant? Israel has a giant, but their giant is yeah. refusing his calling. And it's David then mm-hmm. that gets brought in. And so, I mean, there's just so, there's layers upon layers that I think makes the stories richer and more profitable for my daily living than just, you know, simple platitudes that fit on greeting cards. And Brian, that's, that's, that's where I think for you and I, we want our listeners to appreciate some of this richness, mm. you know, and, and even, even as we think about going back to, you know, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, you know, and I'm not sure if we would land exactly together on the implications of this, but you look at, say, you know, Genesis 2, whenever God brings the woman to the man, and he says, and, and this is where a little bit of knowledge of Hebrew is helpful, you know, he is Ish, and he says she is Isha. Mm-hmm. In, in, in other words, that, that 
uh, phonetic similarity or the similarity in sounds shows that he sees her as someone who is like him and yet distinct from him. But of course, the point of that is she is not like all of the other animals. She is like me. And so, you know, you have this, you have this, uh, this deep sense that, uh, the, the harmony, the beauty, you know, that nakedness and they knew no shame, you know, and I guess we kind of throw that out usually the story of Genesis 2 for kids, but it's like, <laughs> you know, the depth of that, it, it speaks, and, and this, is where, this is where I really do think that it, it feels almost like robbery to some degree. The Bible, as it actually is, speaks to some of these fundamental questions that we have, but when we, when we just leave the Sunday school lens on it, we don't ever get those answers that, that God wants us to have. And, uh, and so that's, that's, again, that's what we're trying to do is to come back and say, hey, especially as adults or, or maybe even if you're a teenager, let's read this with, with some maturity and let's read this intentionally looking for some of those details. So um, let, let me pose this question to you then, Brian. Sunday School Eyes, how do we fix this? What can we do to help address this uh, in, in terms of moving forward? Yeah, so Sunday School Eyes are primarily identified by, uh, one, a misunderstanding of how well we know a story, and then two, a tendency towards us oversimplifying them. I think we begin fixing Mm -hmm. them by, first, reading actively, to use the term you used earlier, Tim, um, by paying Mm -hmm. attention to the details. Uh, Don't assume you already know the story, and I'm... I will put my hand up and say, I've been guilty of that Sunday morning when the pastor, you know, pulls out the Bible and it's a story I know, (laughs) or I was studying last week. It's easy to go, I know that, but stop, engage, Mm -hmm. read, listen to the stories more carefully. We've talked about a couple stories that I think all of our listeners might be very familiar with, but asking why doesn't Eve freak out when a serpent talks to her is a good question that we almost always Mm -hmm. skip over or go, I can't ask that question because I'm doubting the word. No, you should be asking that because I think that will help you see some of the richness of the story and clue you into some things. So Mm -hmm. read actively, pay attention to the details, the modifiers, the adjectives, the qualifiers, the descriptions. The Bible is very good literature. You don't have to be a Christian Mm -hmm. or, or come from Judaism to appreciate the quality of the stories you are reading. And good stories use details sparingly. So when they're put into a story, it typically matters. Joseph Mm -hmm. is described with a Technicolor dream coat, which isn't a Technicolor dream coat, but not just for fun (laughs) visuals in Sunday school, but it has a point to the story. He's easily identifiable from a distance. So his brothers can see him and they can use that coat to deceive their father, right, when they bring it back. So read carefully, pay attention to details, and make note of all the details. Now, I do want to put in a a qualifier here. I'm not saying, and I don't think either of us would say, that we should be pressing every detail and loading all the semantic weight and exegetical weight on every detail. Not every detail is Mm -hmm. equally important right? Just like not every word in a sentence carries the same amount of weight to communicate ideas. Some are there because of grammar and language. So some details are just there because they have to be there for the story to make sense. But Mm -hmm. you won't know what details are important if you haven't noticed what the details are. 
So we're not saying to press every detail beyond what it can bear, but do make sense, uh, make note rather of every detail you can and then fit it into your larger kind of vein of study. So I think that's how we start first by reading actively and paying attention. Yeah. And, and to add something real quick, you know, it's interesting because what you described in that scenario of, you know, the preacher's preaching and, and so, Hey, I feel like I know the story in that equation, you're in the congregation, I'm the preacher, right? You <laughs> yep. know, so that's kind of funny, but it's, it's like when, when we hear a story, I, I just want to say up front, like read, read this, read the Bible. I mean, in, in other words, as a preacher, okay, if I'm telling the story of, say, Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22, um, I might have to selectively choose which verses I'm going to read for the sake of time or whatever else, mm-hmm. at which point just the basic practice of, I'm going to actually read this. I'm, I'm not just going to rely on the pastor to summarize it for me, or I'm not just going to kind of rely on my memory of, oh yeah, we all know the contours of David, you know, he goes to Saul, he gets five stones, and then he kills Goliath. Like those things are true. But what you're saying is these these details that are in the text, they are they are chosen for a reason. And we're going to talk about this next episode as well with narrative. But but there is no replacement for actually reading the Bible. And that sounds so obvious and it is obvious, but I I I I think people can naturally do this pretty well, but they have to take the step of of just admitting I need to read what the Bible actually says. I need to read these stories. And as we do, we take note of some of those details. And, and again, it's important to say this isn't rocket science. This is something that we can do naturally, but we also have to do it intentionally. Um, so fixing Sunday school eyes, you say pay attention to detail. And the next thing that we want to talk about is reading broadly. Um, so part of this is, placing those important details of a particular story in the greater context of the book or story of the Old Testament. And uh, to me, that goes back to kind of this illustration that I mentioned uh, in one of the early episodes, you know, that the Bible, uh, the thing that that is cool about the Bible is it does contain a lot of individual episodes, you know, that, that string together. And so it's kind of like self-contained stories, but then those stories link together. And the illustration that I think of is, you know, it's almost like a, a, a TV show that has episode one that stands alone and episodes two that stands alone, but then those episodes string together in a season, and then season one connects with season two, and then, you know, the season one, two, and three all lead to a climax or whatever it is. We have to understand that there's a continuous story that's being built in the Old Testament. And so the details make sense in, lar- in light of the larger picture. Um, and, and this to me, Brian, this is so important because uh, it really brings us to the point of going beyond even the individual stories themselves and recognizing that what God is doing and, and what the Old Testament authors are doing is not simply giving us moral lessons to live by, what what they're doing more fundamentally is trying to shape our view of the world as a whole. Um, in other words, yes, there are individual lessons that I can learn and apply as I read these stories, but even more fundamentally, 
God is trying to shape the way that we see him, the way that we see ourselves, the way that we see the proper response to our failure, the way that we see, you know, the need for a sacrifice for sin, and, and so many other things. And this is, this is where the Sunday School Eyes, again, can do us such a disservice because it trains us to think in terms of moral lesson instead of the deeper level of worldview formation. And, uh, and so reading broadly, setting the stories in their context, that can help us have a much better grasp of the deeper thing that God is is using his scripture for in our lives. I think that's such a great point that the grasping of the Bible's meta narrative and that's the, the technical term right for a story that is branching over other stories. Um, the grasping of the Bible's meta narrative is crucial to see what God is trying to do. He's trying to shape us. He's trying to frame here's how I want the world to be viewed. Here's how you can live in a sinful world, but be called out of it, be called to be transformed, to be redeemed, to become the people I want you to be. So, Tim, I think that was a fantastic point. And part of this reading broadly as kind of our second corrective to Sunday School Eyes is to also, if I can extend it, to say read in large chunks. Uh, So not just be reading throughout the year, throughout the Old Testament, but sit down and read. Let me just put a challenge Mm -hmm. out there to our listeners. I would highly encourage you at some point this year, sit down and read every book of the Old Testament in its entirety in one sitting. So I'm not saying read the whole Testament in one sitting. Those of you that are masochists, go go for it. But um, right, find that afternoon. Go read the book of Genesis in its entirety. Go sit down and mm-hmm. read the book of Samuel, first and second Samuel, because they're one book. Read it in one sitting, and you'll be amazed at kind of what begins to bubble to the surface. Because it's easier to be clued into uh, a nuance or a theme that you read an hour ago, two hours ago, instead of, oh, I read that story a month ago in my Bible reading plan. Uh, I'm reminded Mm -hmm. of a couple summers ago, I was teaching what's called an intensive. So an intensive for our listeners, it was a semester-long master's course compressed into one week. It was survey of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, and the historical books. So Genesis through Esther in one week, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. I'm going to tell you, that's tough on students. That's tough on me as the teacher. Uh, (laughs) But it also had this beautiful insight. We were in the afternoon on Wednesday, and we were reading the call of Samuel. And I think I mentioned this, not this story, but this idea in a previous podcast Uh, And we were reading the call of Samuel when Eli instructs Samuel to say, here I am. One of my students raised their Mm. hand. He's like, Professor, wasn't that what Moses said to the burning bush when the burning bush calls for him? Wasn't that what Mm. Abram said? Mm. And I was like, yes, that's the response of the righteous. Isaiah is going to say the exact same thing when he's called, here I am, send me. Mm -hmm. And the student's words, I'll, I'll always remember it. He says, I never would have noticed that if I hadn't been forced to read so much in such a little bit of time, right? In three days, we had yeah. read like nine books of the Old Testament, but you began to see themes and ideas. And so it's well worth the effort. And it is effort. Reading actively takes time. It takes energy. Uh, but that's really how I think we can get into the meat and start pulling back these Sunday school eyes to see what God wants us to see in his text. And Brian, I could not agree with you more on that because, again, we, we've got to be aware of the way that we've, we've kind of been trained to approach Scripture. 
And for most of us, you know, maybe we have a, a quiet time or a Bible reading plan, and almost always those plans uh, are very clunky. You know, I'm going to read a chapter, or I might read two chapters, but it, they don't train us to read looking for an overarching story. Mm. And and I think uh, I, I think maybe a helpful analogy of this is is kind of like binge watching a TV show. There's actually a pleasure that you get from binge watching because you go from episode to episode to episode to episode so that you know you, you don't feel like you have to miss out. You follow the storyline, you see the details. The same thing is true with scripture. You know, if you read one chapter or one story at a time, you're not going to see those masterful connections which at times really do bring uh, bring the overarching story to life. It, it, it's almost like, you know, paddling at the edge of a river where there's no current versus paddling in the middle of the river where there is a current. You're going to get so much more with the same effort if you do it with that in mind. Um, so great insight. I love that story. How do we fix Sunday school eyes? We can pay attention to the details. We can read broadly. Third, I think we can read outside the Bible, books that are designed to help us understand background knowledge and deepen our appreciation of the world. Going back to our first episode, Tim, we said part of the reason people Mm -hmm. sometimes avoid the Old Testament is it's a foreign world. It's hard to get into. So Mm -hmm. I think we'll put in the comments of this or the notes of this episode uh, at least a couple works that might be helpful in this vein. There are books like The Word mm-hmm. in the World by Merrill, Rooker, and Grisanti. There's Introduction to the Old Testament by Hill and Walton. Um, these are books designed to be easy to understand, but also to help you as the, the reader get kind of a sense of what's the world in which Genesis is occurring. What's the world in which Chronicles is, is occurring? And having those sometimes will clue you into why the biblical authors are maybe bringing up something. Yeah, and Brian, I couldn't agree more, you know, and this is where for for some people, and again, I'm coming at this pastorally, for some people, um, you know, education or, or reading these books seems like it's, you know, the holy grail. It's like, well, yeah, that'd be amazing, that'd be great, but I'm never gonna do it or I'm never gonna have the opportunity. Uh, one, I would just, again, challenge it, challenge any person listening, you know, it is worth the effort uh, to dig deep into the Word of God. And so, you know, let's not allow ourselves to be lazy, but let's say, okay, I don't have time to go through an entire introductory Old Testament. Even a good study Bible, and there are yeah. so many good study Bibles out there, like it's, it will help you even even in terms of, okay, I'm, I'm reading through and, and, you know, maybe I want to read through Habakkuk or, or one of the prophets. Well, a good introduction, like a, a good, here's what's going on, here's when it was likely written, here's some, you know, some background information, that gives such a, a, a leg up to those people who have at least some awareness because it helps you make sense of the text. And, and again, you don't have to be an Old Testament scholar in order to come to a greater and a deeper appreciation, uh, as well as getting past that kind of mentality that says, all I'm doing is reading this text so that I can have one takeaway for my day, and then I'm never really going to think about it deeper than that. That's what we're trying to avoid. So, Brian, uh, we've talked about three Number one is paying attention to details. Number two, read broadly. Number three, read some introductory books to deepen your background knowledge. The last one that we're going to talk about today, I think, is is maybe even the most crucial of all, and it's reading in community. And I, I love how you frame this. I, I think as we think of reading the Bible, 
we come at it with a very individualistic mindset most of the time. You know, it's about me, the Bible, the Holy Spirit. I'm trying to get that nugget of wisdom to help me get through my day. And rather than looking at the Bible as something that really forms us from the inside out, and we kind of look at it as something where I'm going to try and, you know, kind of vending machine style it. I'm going to click the number that I want. I'm going to get something and then I'm going to go. So tell us a little bit more about reading and community and what that means, why it's so important. Yeah, it's an appreciation that the Bible belongs to the church, capital C, that it's the word mm. to the body of Christ, and that I do need to bring myself to the interpretation of the text, right? But I think, mm-hmm. especially in the Protestant church, we have, and maybe the Protestant American church, we've embraced individualism to the point that we think Bible reading is just about me, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit. And yes, mm-hmm. you are incredibly important. The Holy Spirit is absolutely incredibly important but so is the input of your fellow brothers and sisters as they are reading the text um as you gather together i think that's where you can begin to see some deeper insights you can put forward questions or observations and oftentimes you'll be surprised at the insight you give and this doesn't stop i mean tim i can't even count how many times after a class we'd go out to dinner and just sitting and talking with yourself, some of our fellow PhD students, the amount of things like, I've never seen that. That's an amazing observation, or that's an interesting mm-hmm. idea. Like, I'm going to have to go mm-hmm. and sit and think about that. Um, we could s- sit here till the cows come home, and I could tell you stories of how my faith has been impacted by reading in community. And I'm someone that sits and studies the scripture by myself a lot, but it's in that community mm-hmm. I see it go to the next level. And this is not a contest of faith, right? This isn't Bible trivia that we're trying to one-up one another. But instead, as steel sharpens steel, right? We're supposed to come together and share our knowledge and build one another up, encourage one another towards good works. And so I think reading in community helps us immeasurably, especially maybe even with Sunday school eyes, because the blinders I maybe have to a passage, you may not have those blinders. And so that's how I'm going to be able to see past maybe some of my preconceptions or things I'm just uh, still missing, even as I'm trying to pay attention. So uh, I agree with you, Tim. This is the big one. I I, I saved the best for last, as it were. Reading in community, I think, is really going to put the nail in the coffin of Sunday School Eyes most of the time for us. Well, and and the one thing I would add to that is it it becomes so much more joyful to read the Bible with others. Yes. You know, and... In the same way that, you know, when I when a major blockbuster movie comes out, I don't just want to go see it myself. I want to see it with a group of friends I know will enjoy it so that, you know, after it's done, we can say, hey, do you remember this part? And hey, did you notice that? And then, you know, maybe when you go see it a second time, if it's a good enough movie, you know, you can come to a deeper appreciation of it. And and so I think there's that that dynamic going on as well as just that again. And I come back to this because to me. Uh, this is this is where Sunday school eyes again can can almost be robbery. The point of reading the scripture is to be formed both individually and in community, mm. and, and so as we read the scriptures, God is is shaping us as His people. 
uh, to be a people who reflect his glory, right? Who live as his ambassadors. And and so the, the point of the scriptures is not merely that I can be the best me that I can be, or even that I can be some kind of spiritual juggernaut because, you know, I had my quiet time every day for a year. You know, it, it's this idea that God is shaping me fundamentally. He's shaping every area of my life, every area of my thought. He's using the scriptures to do that, but there is no indication in scripture that that we are just t- supposed to have me, my Bible, my time with the Holy Spirit, and that's sufficient. It's necessary, but it's not sufficient, and it never will be. We've got to allow ourselves, as you so beautifully said, we've got to allow ourselves to be sharpened uh, by the insights of others and allow the Holy Spirit to work through the community of faith. It's not about us individually. It's not about that moral lesson. It's about from top to bottom, everything we believe being shaped by the power of the Holy Spirit through his word. Absolutely. What a wonderful metaphor too, because I'm sure we all do appreciate seeing things with others so that we can share our joy. So it should be with our reading of scripture. Well, friends, we've come now to the end of this episode. Hopefully we've given you some tools to engage and begin peeling back those Sunday school eyes so we can appreciate the rich bounty of the Old Testament. Come back next week as we begin talking about narrative, how to read the Old Testament, especially the Old Testament stories, and begin appreciating it for all their worth. Until then, friends, you know what to do. Stay cool and stay old.